0: I don't think there's anything quite as unnerving and butt-clenchingly fearful as seeing the closed management office door. Let me explain. I went into work with all these wonderful offices in the world of retail fashion, and all the management, the managing directors, the directors, the senior managers, all had offices. Well, of course, an office says power, and it also says power secrecy and when you get called in well it's quite unnerving because you never quite know what's going to happen behind that closed door as they click gently shut it and say do take a seat and i think it's equally unnerving to be the person on the other side watching a colleague talk with that manager is it about me have i done something wrong why am i not in that meeting It's just an awful way to work. So, at Portus, we have an open office, a very open office. I mean, so open that the other day when I had to sob at the table, because I had flu, I wasn't feeling well, I lost my rag a bit, not meant to, I was trying to be zen, I was trying to be kind, it all went wrong. And I sobbed at the desk, and of course, everybody knew. Everybody knew my mood. And I had to also shamefully later on go around and say to everybody, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I got a bit ratty. But here's the thing, it was open, it was transparent. They knew that I cocked up, but they knew that it was okay and that I was vulnerable enough to say, I got it wrong. And you know what, they can do the same. That's what a great office environment is.
1: Hello and welcome to Work Like a Woman. I am Emily Bryce-Perkins, Culture Director at Portas. I'm coming live from the kitchen at Portas and Mary Portas is coming live from... Oh, New York City. <laughs> New York City. I'm coming from New York City
0: on Thanksgiving and uh, live from the centre of, of, well, of retail. I'm looking at retail, we're doing business. There's things about certain brands that have such equity that they just do what they're best at and mm. you can see that. And then there's the copiers. And the copiers are the ones who are sort of slightly falling by the wayside. It's all about it's innovation. Here, isn't now. It? Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's a great city to walk and it has that lovely big sky that we don't get in London. I know. And it's good to be here, you know?
1: As we uh, get lots of emails through from people, as you know, and some of them you just you need to respond and um, and I thought it would be good to discuss this one. So I'm just gonna read this to you, Mary. Um yeah. from this lady that emailed us earlier. This the is week. one of them.
0: Many letters that we get this is, one yeah. particular, particularly stood out didn't yeah it?
1: so I am now married with two teenage children. My husband is a very loving father and a hard-working doctor however he does nothing in the house apart from cook the occasional meal sometimes wash up or empty the dishwasher and I can count on the on one hand the number of times he's vacuumed anywhere apart from his car and he has absolutely no idea how to use a washing machine he does mow the lawn and do a bit of gardening. Is it acceptable um, for him to say that he can't help because of his hours and his very stressful job? Is it right for him to do nothing in the house and have no idea of the children's schedules or their school holidays? Um, when I do challenge him, he turns the conversation around and says that nobody has any idea how stressful his job is, how many hours he works, and that he can't do his job or help at home. Now, this implies he has never actually said that because I work part-time, that it is my responsibility. I do not think that if I work full-time that any of this would change
0: thereby hangs all of this this is this is this is not going to change whether she was at home full-time or not Mm -hmm. it's the usual thing of and here i bet she's feeling guilty am i right or am i wrong yeah it's the usual thing on i you know earn the most and i do the most hours therefore do not ask of me and even the fact of asking puts her in that position which is a stressful position because what he's basically saying is that this is not equal yeah. and we decided to have children and uh, but that doesn't mean that i have to give my time and he's created this kind of pecking order of priorities which we see so often i mean this sounds like the sort of letter that we could you know have read out 30 years ago, yeah, 40 years ago. I remember sitting with a, a friend of mine who was a theatre director you know, and she didn't work uh, full-time, but her husband did. And, and there was always this thing that she would give, But well, I do this because he's the one who brings in the money. And she brought up the kids without any help, managed all and carried all the social load. And yet she still felt that she had to give something back because he brought in the money, which is just quite frankly wrong. Imagine the money that you would need to be earning to have all that help,
1: all Mm -hmm. that social
0: help, all the cleaning, all the management of the household. Then you start to get into banging up the eyes. If we're going to do like for likes, you start to realize quite quickly that she will probably be doing much more than he is. And here's the other thing. This just is deeply unfair. That is just not the right way to respect each other Mm. and to do your part as a family. And I think she needs to, to deal with this head on because it's not going to go away. And the fact that she's written to us mm. is there's a resentment there.
1: I think the fact that she's concerned about the, the impact it's having on her children as well.
0: Yes, of course. And that we talk about this all the time. This is all the messages that those children will be getting. This, this is the male role model. Don't expect him to be managing and sorting out what's going to be on the school agenda or saying, don't forget to put that in your diary, darling. It's the school play tonight. Or we need to get little Johnny to football. um, Who's going to be doing it this week? There's no sharing. So all those messages that the son will be getting and the daughter was that the power lies in the hands of the father in this situation. Yes. And, um, and I think the, the thing is, what, what's, can, I don't know this woman's name, but I'll be saying to you, you need to really, really start to write down and focus on what it is that's making you deeply uncomfortable and start to talk to him on this. Now, that none of this is easy because it will end up into what always happens. is Stop moaning at me. You know how busy I am. And you have to get past that. And so this isn't a moaning session. This is just actually becoming more balanced in the way that we do things, that this feels fair because at the moment I feel resentful. And that resentfulness will grow into something that just gets worse and eventually it will hit the wall. And then they start to make decisions on anger and a situation that has not been dealt with.
1: Yeah, It's, it's the same in business. I was going to say, it sounds yeah, yeah very similar to if you're unhappy at work. Or if someone's not not performing, he's quite frankly not performing. He's not performing. It's a
0: performance issue. And I don't know what generation he's come from. uh, But, you know, welcome to the new world, mate. And I think, you know, she needs to speak with him on this. This
1: can't go on. And I think she needs to be very clear. What is her last line on it? What is her last line on her note? She said, I would really like to find out more about this so I can actually reply sensibly rather than thinking that his words make this right. Yes. I read somewhere that women's liberation really didn't do women many favours as now we have to work and still do everything else. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we don't have to. No, but we, don't we do have to.
1: We don't have to. Yeah. And that's the thing. This leads on brilliantly to our guest this week, Mary. We have Sharmadine Reed. Sharmadine launched War Salon, which is a nail salon back in 2009. Her most recent venture is Beauty Stack, which is an app that connects beauty professionals um, with a sort of end-to-end service with consumers and she's just all about supporting women. She's a single mum herself, but has a great relationship with the father of her child and actually she wouldn't put up with any of that shit that we were just talking through. She was, yeah, she was a very fascinating, very warm, very honest um, guest.
0: Sharmadine created her own power very early on. Mm. This is me, this is my business. And therefore, anybody who comes into this or, you know, as a partner will do so in my life and it will be equal and it will be balanced. Yeah. Um, and I think that is that's so often really important is retaining your own sense of self.
1: OK, great. So here is Sharma Dean.
2: I'd graduated from Central St. Martins in fashion communication with a first class degree. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I was traveling all over the world, like styling for brands. Um, And I'm super curious and I like looking at different tribes of people. So I noticed that whenever I went to Asia or L.A. or New York, there was a lot of nail culture. And because I'd made this magazine in university about women and hip hop, nails is very much linked to hip hop culture, like, you know, fly girls getting their nails done. So I used to always get my nails done, but when I would travel around, I'd see incredible experiences like a club in Bangkok that had a whole video wall, or like in LA, there'd be some new juice bar that just had a different vibe to it. And I'd come back to London, and this was in 2008, so you couldn't get a flat white, there was no overground, and Dalston was a hellhole. And I'd just be like, London's a bit yeah, for experiences. So then I thought, I'm going to open an nail salon to connect all the women who'd bought my student magazine over the last like few years and it's just going to be like my bedroom. Like where girls are coming to hang out, that wasn't a club. So it didn't involve like alcohol or a restaurant, it didn't involve food. There's no adult community centre if you think about it. You know, the world that we're living now, everyone's obsessed with connecting to each other. People don't go to church or don't go to the youth club or don't go to all the, these places. So I was 24 years old when I came up with the idea and started working on it. I literally just thought I can open a nail salon. It was really weird. I didn't even think it through like i was totally naive so my son's dad who was my boyfriend at the time came home one day with a brochure for a property and he said we're viewing this on monday so i was like okay i guess this is happening then and it was 20 seconds from my house in dalston where all my friends all artists and fashion people lived and i viewed it and i just said yes straight away it was a complete blank space i was like i can make this call and then that's pretty much how one began
0: everything you talked about there was instinctive you just felt it hmm. and we never talk about that in business do we oh, I've got this feeling because like well uh sorry does that make financial sense <laughs> and uh where's the backup where's the data where's the p Well, no, I've just got this feeling
2: it's so interesting you talk about this because this is something that I have been ruminating on a lot lately, like very lately, is my founder intuition, which I feel hasn't been cultivated by external people as best as it could. And I think that it's very easy to get pulled exactly at the cash flow forecast and the market size. And in startup land, they need all of this evidence where I just think I have a third eye for this stuff. Please just trust me at least to assert, you know, trust me to get to launch. I've had That intuition about a lot of things that I've not chosen to pursue with full gusto. So, for example, you know, if you think about it, Wa started as a feminist fanzine 13 years ago. Like, feminism was not cool. Uh, You know, and I made a zine, a magazine. Like, how many women's magazines exist now, right? We did an online website that I, again, didn't pursue any of these things properly because I was styling at the time, right? I was traveling around styling clothes and doing these things as a side project so I started a women's website again this is maybe 11 years ago before there were just women's cool girl websites I did my first panel talk in 2008 at the ICA for 30 girls who wanted to know how I got my job traveling the world at 23 so I just did that instinctively and now panel talks are just a normal part of the society so I feel like I've always had an inkling for the future, but i I didn't have a passion to pursue any of those as a business. It's just that I quite naturally open and good at a lot of things. like I've always been jack of all trades, but ne- but like master of none. But you know you followed
0: I mean? the energy of it, didn't you? You followed that. You said you didn't have it, oh, that's going to be a business. You let the door open,
2: yeah, because I knew that my me and my friends wanted this. I worked at a magazine and when you work in fashion those people are the people of influence at the time and there wasn't again this word didn't exist influencer so i just knew that if me and my friends did it other people would do it because that's how things had always gone it sounds, sounds, so, that if you're... It sounds so egotistical <laughs> i was just like my friends at the time were like and still are like on my street right fk twigs paloma faith you know adele was singing at the pub down the road like oh get do you do you yeah, get what I'm saying Yeah, but, out there. but it wasn't cool glamorous because I was 20 like I was in my early 20s living like a student it wasn't glamorous you know yeah, I, Dalston was not I glamorous I just then. graduated <laughs> I'd earned the first money I'd earned in my entire life that was significant I'd kn- I, you know I come from a working class background it was not glamorous I was going out raving like <laughs> six days a week and walking home at four in the morning like Beautiful, going to the kebab shop, beautiful. and the <laughs> Turkish kebab shops. It was just that. <laughs> What's happened to Turkish kebab shops? I know, especially because I moved to West London. They're yeah, not, they're, they're not there. there. But, you know, I I didn't think, I definitely checked the financials, right? I wasn't that yeah. fly away. I definitely did a very basic, like, could this actually make money and how much money? I knew it wouldn't make a lot of money, but importantly, I knew it wouldn't lose money. Because I was earning a lot of money doing the work I was doing. I thought, literally, that I'd have a shop where I'd just get my nails done once a week. Yeah. <laughs> that, I thought I'd get my nails done for free. That's why I started it. Like,
0: a very expensive know. way to get your very nails done exp- for free, yeah, I yeah, I wish, and I I the- told, I wish,
2: wish <laughs> I'd known you then and you told me that.
0: <laughs> but I suppose what I was feeling and everything you've just talked about is this this kind of organic ecosystem that comes out from your energy and you feeling stuff, right? So even your friends and where you hang out because it's just this energy that just brings and harnesses the same sort of people Mm. and you have this shared community. You talked about community and that we have so little of that today. Mm. One of the things that I wrote about when I did my High Street report was that's all that we need to create social capital, create community and the economic all the economics followed that. Um, that wasn't understood by most of the Tory party at the time, <laughs> and they're doing ever so well now. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I should have listened to them, I guess. But it's it's also, um, I have times, you know, I have an agency, Portas, and we work with many, many big global brands, and so many times, I just want to say, please this feels right, just do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, you do say that. <laughs>
0: I do. And then they go, of course, but we'd like to have the back up, and the strategic you yeah. know, analysis, which, of course, you know, most people in businesses and when they're being employed, you know, they have to follow these roads that have been set down and these val- these codes that have been set down in business. But some of the most successful people don't.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's the freedom that we have to sometimes follow, and we don't. And I suppose it's a great thing for any young woman, you know, coming out of college today or university or not, that just suppressing your instinct. I think is just sometimes the most harmful thing we can do.
2: I would completely agree with that. Mm. I I would say that this year has been incredibly tough for me, and I would attribute it to that one thing. My instincts about either people. Strategy for my company, who we should hire, who I should work with—I've not trusted them, and it's backfired massively. And it—it's literally, yeah, I've been suppressing my spirit this year for sure. I would say though as well that what I've—I'm very self-reflective. I spend so much time thinking about everything that you know, from a conversation that's happened to what I'm going to do this week or something, or you know. reflecting on a relationship or something that's happening at work and when i've reflected on this what i've realized is the evidence if, if you want evidence the evidence says i'm very good at getting to product market fit i'm very good at launching something having a lot of people like consume it participate contribute whatever what i'm unproven in is scale like i've not actually scaled anything but that instinct should be followed to the point of when things need to scale. So when you follow your instincts or your intuition, I think there can be a point when you're like, I'm going to pursue what feels right to me up till this point, and then I'm going to ask for outside contribution feedback or help all
0: doing it together mm. I found it really interesting one of my favourite people in the world who's died is Anita Roddick mm. and she was one of those great women who loved young women and mm. went, come on she supported women which I love she was a complete instinctive player. she created the body shop we're yeah. talking about in the 70s where she was talking about saving the planet and how we had to think about what we put onto our she's bodies
2: she's a pioneer mm. a pioneer
0: stone. Right? So she creates one of the biggest retail businesses completely by instinct and following that. And she just partnered with people to make sure that the systems were in place Mm. to growth. So don't think you have to lose it and stop. She partnered with them. But here's the thing. When she sold the business to a very big corporation, they (laughs) sort of went let's put her aside because she's a bit bonkers. You know, she's a bit creative. So she's not in here mm. when it comes to big business. Mm-hmm. And they crucified that business. And it went off-piste, as we know, for many, many years. Yeah. And I always think about her. And I always think about her, you know, had she been alive today, what she'd be saying. I think she'd be smiling and laughing and letting them just get on with whatever they were doing with her business with her baby I'm not sure she would be laughing smiling but I think she would know that the power of the female instinct should never be
2: suppressed <laughs> definitely and also she'd be smiling that the world has caught up with her and I think that's a very interesting thing as well about having that intuition is when you live in the future, you have to get used to people not understanding what you're doing because they can't possibly comprehend it. So many people will just tell you that it's not really, I can't see it. And then I'm, I'm getting used to, well, of course you can't see it. That's why I'm the founder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if everyone could see it, I wouldn't have the... Uh, wouldn't have carved a niche in my world for me so I think that it's really important to know that sometimes you live in the future so I I think that strong um, companies and strong founders create markets that didn't exist before and again that's very difficult to comprehend if you don't think like that where did you get your confidence from Oh, everyone asks this. Why is that? I, don't know. I came me, out the womb, like, shot out the womb, being like, "Hey, you- guys!" <laughs> hey. All right. So, <laughs> this is why I'm confident. I come from a very warm, funny, huge Jamaican family. But on top of this large, warm Jamaican family who told me I could do whatever I wanted, I also went to church from the day I was born. So I had another two hundred. Jamaican people telling me I was amazing literally I was such a precocious child and they'd always be <laughs> encouraging it I, I just think I've really landed on my feet That's so I never Quite felt emotional listening well to I just them. never it's really weird because I, I think yeah no one ever told do you know what I actually distinctly remember the first time and this was an outside male, obviously, always is. Outside. <laughs> an outside, an outside male. male. So at my So at my grandma's house, with all my lovely family around, you know, watching telly, drinking tea, one of my uncle-in-laws came in, so I think freshly married to my auntie, mm. and he said to me, you should take elocution lessons, your accent's terrible. And, and I was like, oh, no-one's ever said that to me before. How I, old were you? Probably 11 or 12.
0: Yeah, that's a shitty thing to say at that age, isn't it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So
2: I I remember thinking, oh, somebody's told me I'm not that great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was quite interesting because I have got a coarser accent. I'm from Wolverhampton compared to my family because I went... Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton Come yeah. on now. I mean, not now because, you know, I've been here for 15 years. But... Yeah, so I I just think that I attribute it to kind, good words of encouragement. And so, I think for children, yeah. massively important.
0: We had um, Philippa Perry on who talks about that. Her book like, we changed it? Oh, my, my, my life. Yes. They're changed per- my life. Yes, Philippa Do Perry. you know how
2: many I've bought? I've bought... <laughs> Probably 20. <laughs> Every time I meet someone who's about to have a baby, I gift them that book. I actually have three in my office at my desk ready to gift. Oh. Oh, I think it's the well best. Betting. I think whether you've got a child or not, you should read it. Fully I agreed. totally
0: agree. Because actually at the heart of it is this kindness and love. Mm-hmm. And um, when I wrote my book, Work Like a Woman, and we created tried to create a business that was based on that, it was all the things that you talk about that a family a loving family Mm -hmm. not a dysfunctional. and you were lucky that you had a loving family and also let's face it out of dysfunction can come some great things but who wants to go through that painful journey Um,
2: doing it now mate (laughs) are you we've all got one of those
0: (laughs) okay don't you why but you can do that as well with integrity and kindness Mm -hmm. and actually know that most people go through pain and it's just sort of trying to honour that but um, when when I wrote the book and talked about the business on like putting those values of kindness and saying to people, no, don't worry, you know, be vulnerable. It's OK. You know, you're great. This might not be the right job that we've given you at the moment, but what about if you do this and working around people? It's just the most wonderful thing as another human to do to another human. And yet when it comes to business, we normally just throw those out the window so everything you've talked about that made you feel confident and made you feel strong enough to go out in the world and say no I'm going to try this was because people said you know what we believe in you Mm -hmm. and yet in the world of work that all stops why why and it's crazy because I don't believe that it creates anything that's good in the world it might create short-term profit but it doesn't create people who feel that they're part of something that they could be growing and that feeds their soul and their mind.
2: Thinking about that book, it, it you know why people don't do it, because they have all of these own issues that the work environment kind of almost acts like group therapy, whereby the work environment and your teammates, you spend so much time with them that a dynamic starts to build that reflects on patterns in your childhood that will come out in all your relationships whether they're you know love family or work my own issues are related to not knowing my father like I've never known my dad you know I speak a lot about this on my friends podcast daddy issues and how not having a dad has created a lot of there are areas in my life where I do feel unsafe. I feel like people are going to let me down or abandon me. So then I project that onto my workmates with an assumption that at some point you're going to leave. So what's the point in nurturing this relationship? And I think it's something that over the course of this last two years of running a tech company is very different at the Now salon because there was. You know, there were all the nail artists and then there were like me and one other girl like running the company. But having a really varied cross section of people, I am learning more about myself in terms of who triggers me in different ways. Mm. And on one hand, it's a shame that that process has to happen with people. But then on the other hand, I look forward to, you know, being older, wiser, uh, hiring other people who can point out my biases and flaws in this in this realm because I have this thing where I love discovering young women who are you know ignored hard done by uh, and I feel like if I pick them up and I give them a job and I train them to think like me they can be successful too and I do it all the time and then for whatever reason if that girl you know has any personal problems or just doesn't want to do that job or isn't constantly grateful at the things that I've given them I feel like oh I can't believe they're not feeling you know like I've saved them and I've got this proper thing where I need to let go of where it's not my job to go around fixing or saving all of these girls like I can just be me and by being me I can be an example for others because I have this thing of constantly giving advice constantly wanting to help people now I'm just like Do you know what why am I doing that As long as there are no crazy casualties, as long as I'm not hurtful, malicious, unkind outside of my relationship patterns, then I'm like, you know, hopefully this experience has helped me be a better person. But in the world of work, everyone is just playing out their relationship patterns on you. Well, here's the
0: thing. (laughs) You know, I asked you what made you so confident. And I think any young woman listening to you talk now would know that you followed your as, as Oprah would call it her inner frequency she's got <laughs> some good lines that woman um, she really but, does she really does um, but you follow that and you created a business based on that that instinct and what felt right for you but you are also vulnerable hmm. and many times you know you fall off the path but it's the ability to go back and say I've fallen off it apologising and being vulnerable enough to say I got that wrong and, precisely you know I learned from you know, I've got Two of my great crew sitting with me now, Emily Bryce Perkins. Oi, oi. oi, oi. <laughs> They will tell me as well. And I'd like to feel, I'm sure there's times they think, oh, I can't tell Mary that. You know, she's got a grouchy head on there. Wurzel Gummidge, grouchy head. <laughs> but, you know, they're enough that we're open. And Abby, my mm. fabulous EA, that they will be able to say to me, that's just not great. Or, you know, I think you upset someone there. Or, you know, like, you sure you really want to do this? And I think being vulnerable is really important as a leader. Because we don't know the answers, none of us do.
2: And there's two, like, really important points that you've said there, which is surrounding yourself with almost like a control group Mm. to make you aware of your choices. Mm. Because I think that we juggle, I say we as in CEOs or business Mm. leaders, there are so many multiple things going on in one day like my day today is crazy, you know, and like your day is crazy. And there's the things that we do in a day, people that take like a month to do. And I think that you need a control group to keep you on the path, on the right path and remind you of your values. I think that's important because it's easy to get them skewed. And then the second thing is what how I try and measure myself is not by... The mistakes i made but how quickly i rectify them yeah. so how quickly i bounce back i yeah. think of it like an elastic band around my wrist like how how far did it stretch mm. before i got it back in place because if it takes longer it bloody hurts doesn't mm-hmm. it but mm. if you pull it a little bit and you bounce back quicker mm. you can just get back on the horse and keep riding again but also am i doing the same thing again and again and again yeah because then i'm not you know i'm not yeah. re-learning here
0: Talk to me about um, your experience of motherhood. How old were you when you had your first child?
2: So I was twenty-six. Yeah, that, that's quite young. That's super not young for my there eh? Super young in my crew.
0: Yeah, su- super young in your crew, and super young. But like, I guess my parents' generation, it wasn't no young, was it? So you're twenty-six, yeah. and, and tell us how you, how you looked after children in business, and and how you look after women in your business who have children.
2: So. Emily
0: Bryce Perkins is pregnant, by the way.
2: Oh, congrats. Thank you. First baby.
1: Yes, first baby.
2: Very exciting. I'm sadly
1: not 26.
2: (laughs) No, but you look fabulous. You look great. (laughs) So the salon had been open one year. I'd met my son's dad six months before the salon opened. So it was all a big, crazy fluster. Are you still with him? No, but we're best mates, live round the corner from each other and we share our son fifty fifty. Do you know what? I'm I'm the same. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm on my second <laughs>
0: <laughs> marriage breakup. But people just find that weird. And they do. They just do At and the they, school, call. they find it weird. Yeah. More like we <laughs> share Christmas together and do stuff and people come like, and go, Oh, Oh, you're, you know, your ex is there. You go, yeah. Come um, in, yeah. hello. I mean, It'll it takes a l- bit of pain to get through there. I mean, it's 100%. not like a sort Like anyone who goes, oh, do you know it all? Like, no. No. Like, it took blah, 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 blah. a couple
2: of years and it's still, yeah. again, it's the quickly of you bounce yeah. back, you know. Still times
0: <laughs> where, if the frying pan was in your hand. Totally. But nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless <laughs> the intent. But I think we ought to talk about, we ought to do something on that as well. I mean, it's I so think it's a conscious uncoupling, but... That's kind of hippieish and fabulous and, and really important, but I think there is something on that.
2: I wrote an essay in my friend Scarlett Curtis's book on co-parenting because I think it's critical for women at yeah. work.
0: Yeah, I would Like, go... to
2: relate this back to work, when I um, had Roman... Uh, Great name. Yeah, empire builder. Of course I was going to say, <laughs> so, uh... well, it wasn't built in a day either, was <laughs> it? <one." laughs> so when I had Roman, um, I just loved being a mum, mm, like, with so nothing I. to do. I could easily be a full-time mum right now. Could you? Yeah, because I'd keep myself busy. I'd do all kinds of stuff. I wouldn't be doing nothing. But, like, the freedom. Oh, I loved it. I used to walk with them around Highgate Woods, like... My best mate, my little mate. And cooking together. Cooking. I know, I've just I done a week of I made him shoes. This. I was sewing. I was doing all oh, kinds blimey. of like... you went one yeah, step cr- further than oh, me, I literally. Oh, I full-on Martha Stewart. Full-on, full-on Martha um, Even
0: she didn't wear shoes.
2: Yeah. And then, when I had to go back to work... <laughs> I love that prison life. Oh, <laughs> me, can it's you imagine? To my hero even more. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I... Basically, before we broke up... I was like, I can't be the default mode for child rearing here. So then we had a discussion about the fact that if he cries from Wednesday to Saturday, his dad picks him up like if he's in the if we're both in the house because his dad also um had his own business. So if we're both in the house and it's Wednesday to Saturday and he cries, I'm not going to default just go and pick him up because I've got work to do too. I'm thinking I'm doing stuff. And then if it's Saturday to Wednesday, whatever he needs, food, clothes, crying, whatever, I'll do it. And then when we broke up, we just kept that pattern and mm. It was like literally... Without the crying. You just did the half week. You didn't have
0: to be crying. No, just
2: now you've got to have him. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 say how I do. Yeah, so Wednesday one o'clock to Saturday or alternate Sunday one o'clock. That, you know, that's how Mm. we split our time. Mm. So, yeah, obviously the first few years of a breakup are incredibly Mm. hard. But the structure of that divide was so important for our son. And even though, you know, the babies pick up on all kinds of... Again, in Philippa's book, they pick up on everything. Mm. So I just tried, you know, as best as I could, to be as, like, keep that consistency and be as civil as possible, primarily because I grew up without my father. Mm. And I knew that although the bond wouldn't be as strong when Roman was one years old, I knew that if we carried on... He would have an equal bond when he was five years old and six years old, and now he's eight, and that's exactly how it's turned out. So I'm very proud of that. Of course, you know, if you said to him now, "Whose house do you want to go to?" He would just be like, mm, "What are you cooking, Mom? Yeah, oh, Dad, can oh, yeah. I do it? Like, ice cream? Yeah, oh, he's got the ice cream. It's not about fa- <laughs> he has yeah. no favorites. No, you no, know no, what no, I, I mean, yeah, I know. and that's actually like amazing to it's watch. Fantastic. It's so hard, but if you just keep one thing consistent, like. It works out and now
0: and also the thing is what I love about what you're saying is that um, it's you know when you hear so many breakups and people are just so bitter and angry and you do go through that pain I mean anyone there's a course. breakup there's a reason you break up yeah. you know so you do go through that pain but for that child I think there's nothing greater than them still loving that parent. You want them to love that parent, that other parent. I mean, that's how I always felt. Because that's family. It doesn't matter. You are a family. It doesn't matter where you physically are. You create a family and you are still a family unit. It might be in different houses but you're still family and that's so important and it's the same in work even yeah. when people leave or go oh we're going we're leaving work you know i've, got, I've found another job you know 10 years ago i'd go oh, go then you know so, it's we're, so not funny back, me too. we're not quite
2: no, that I'm like you know no. what Great. i'm a stepping stone on your journey that's okay yes. and when you let go that's totally fine yes. it's letting go of the people's your expectations of people yes. but i could not have built my business had i not done this 50-50 split when i see like mums who are single mums who have full-time care of their child and live in london with no family support i'm like you are the true heroes yeah, here i agree because i don't have basically from wednesday i'm a single woman i don't have to think who's the amount of brain space taken up by domestic duties for women stops them from writing being the next shakespeare you know such like shakespeare sister in virginia Woolf. it stops you Being able to focus on that future. For me, this is not only healthy for me, it's healthy for our son. Women, the reason I wrote that essay is because I believe that so many people talk about gender equality in the workplace and the multitudes of problems about why that's not how it is yet. And we're so far from it, despite what people like to say in the press. And I'm like, well, you get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is when you have a child, you are exhausted, you are mentally exhausted, you are physically exhausted, you don't have time to be the best person you can be at work. And I just think, like I said, when you're a single mum, I think that's, you're the real hero there, because I couldn't do it. At my workplace now, we're so small that I kind of can do whatever I want, policy-wise. For half-term, we paid for a childminder to come in and look after all the babies. Fantastic, <laughs> so easy. one right, the It's all it's all guys with their babies. I'm the only mum in my whole company. <laughs> Everyone who has a child is a, a new dad. The cost is minimal, of course. They're, exactly, it gives the mums at home a break, or if they're working, a break. It means that the dad is able to get their head down and focus. And people love telling me yeah you can do that now but it won't scale i'm like who cares i can do it now yes you can, can and it will it scale
0: because here's the thing how many big offices have you gone into you oh know there's my. really expensive ones where the actual the in Don't the entrance even <laughs> start about that right <laughs> right a, a woman Pick told a me, me. Should,
2: put a question there i love the work you do Mary. because i when i was a kid i spent a lot of time town planning <laughs> <laughs> I used to draw what a perfect council estate would look like oh, or a oh town. baby you know what I mean I was like okay so there should be a library here there should be a, yes. um, a communal kitchen so that lonely people can have somewhere to talk like I love that and one of the things a crash always, why are the creches not next to the workplaces? I don't get it. It's actually like such a basic problem it actually riles me.
0: One of my things that I put into the High Street Report is that you know let's give space, that on empty spaces over to crushes, right, in, in on the high streets the minute you start getting mothers coming along with babies, what do they want to do? They'll stop off, buy a coffee totally. This is like social capital bring them in there and then you could put like a little recycling second hand clothes kids clothes, mm-hmm. prams and whatever so you start to create this new energy that's not based on another a retail shop selling us stuff that we don't need Uh but it's based on our needs as people as humans but as we say don't worry we've got Boris Johnson as Prime (laughs) Minister there we had all the the Extinction Rebellion people outside and I loved them so much Mm. for standing up and going no more and he talks about them as the crusty little what did he call them can you remember I just hope the political system just falls flat on its great big fat male alpha backside and that we can start a new way of living but you know what let's do it together Sharma definitely let's join the party join the party and help me plan that town I can't wait (laughs) there you go there's how you do it Um, (laughs) and it just seems fair I mean there's a woman building a great life excited by what she does and constantly curious but any relationship and partner that she has works with it fits into it because it's just quite simply fair
1: yes I loved her curiosity, actually. She's just so open and always learning, <laughs> always growing. Right there, Mary, as you're in New York, I thought it might be nice for you to give us a quote from a from a, maybe a female writer born in New York. What do you reckon?
0: Well, I do. I mean, there's so many incredible ones. I, I, I had a choice between Joan Didion and Grace Paley, both American essayists and fantastic. I'm going to go for... Um, for Joan Didion, but I'm going to do a couple of hours. My first quote is for the woman who wrote in. To free us from the expectations of others, to give us back to ourselves, there lies the great singular power of self-respect. Without it, one eventually discovers the final turn of the screw. One runs away to find oneself and finds no one at home. And my other one, because... The Didian. the Didion is pretty good <laughs> we when it Didians. comes to putting them out there. I'm not telling you to make the world better because I don't think that progress is necessarily part of the package. I'm just telling you to live in it, not just to endure it, not just to suffer it, not just to pass through it, but to live in it, to look at it, to try to get the picture, to live recklessly, to take chances to make your own work and take pride in it, to seize the moment. And if you ask me why should you bother to do that, I could tell you that the graves are fine and private place, but none, I think, do their embrace. Nor do they sing there or write or argue or see the tidal bore on the Amazon or touch their children. And that's what there is to do. And get it while you can. And good luck at it.
1: I've got goosebumps. <laughs> Amazing.
0: To, to all those women out there who think they're not doing that because someone else possibly isn't playing their part or enabling them or just being fair, think on that today because you have the power inside.
1: And we'll see you next week.
0: Bye from New York. <laughs>